We care about our land more than somebody down in Ottawa. A land code puts the First Nation into the power of government. The biggest point for me is your ability to protect your reserves lands. Former chief of our community had the vision to sign uh, and the guts to sign that framework agreement. Business at the pace of business. I think it just proves that First Nations lands management really is working. The good thing about land code, we don't have to sell it. It sells itself. And joining us now on the podcast is Councillor Bill McHugh from Chippewa of Georgina's Island First Nation. Did I pronounce that right? Yes, that's correct. That's perfect. Okay, welcome to the show. Oh, I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me. I feel like I'm speaking with a land code legend here (laughs) because you've been involved for some time, Bill. Yes, uh, we have. uh, I've been fortunate to be here from almost the beginning. Uh, It was uh, 1993. I was elected chief of our community, and we were in negotiations with uh, the Department of Indian Affairs at that point in time on renewing our uh, leases uh, for our our, uh, cottage lots on on our islands. And at that point in time, unfortunately, I couldn't even partake in the negotiations because we were under the Indian Act leases, and they said, you have no authority here. So I said, there's got to be another way to do this for our community. And uh, I had spoken with uh, then Chief uh, of Skuka, Gary Edgar, and he said, there's a group of chiefs that are planning a new way to get out of the Indian Act. I think you got to come and listen. And, and at that point in time, uh, I met with the folks in, it was a cold, I recall, because it was a cold winter day and I walked down to the, uh, um, meet the group and I thought halfway when I was walking through the streets of Quebec, I'm used to the cold, but it, it was cold and when I started to feel my face, when they told me what they were planning to do, I thought, that is for us. It, it's giving the authority and the decision. That was the start for us, and I've been involved with the, the initiative ever since. On that very cold day, had, had anyone even begun to draft the framework agreement? It was, it was a concept back then. It, it hadn't, the idea was there, and, and they were talking uh, how, how we could do things better. There, there was just a, maybe the ideas were thrown out that originally there was the First Nations uh, Chartered Lands Act and, and that that was uh, wasn't suitable for what we were planning and, and the AFN was adamantly opposed to that so we switched gears that was more specific to our communities that wanted to join. Am I right in that uh, you were the very first to ratify the agreement? Yes that that's correct uh, uh, our community was the first community to ever vote and, and ratify our land code. We were, we didn't know where we were going, but we knew where we had been with being under the Indian Act. And the elders and the the community didn't like that spot where we were at, and we overwhelmingly voted ninety four percent in favor of passing our land code 
on that day. And um, it was like the the uh, the dog when he catches the car. What do you do with it when you got it? But not after 25 years, I've seen the progress, and we've come through quite well. Yeah, there's quite a bit of information on on your website now, and success stories from other communities across Turtle Island. And as you, as you look back and reflect, what do you see as being some of those shining highlights of land code and what it's done specifically for your community? For us, uh, it lets us operate at the speed of business in, in relation to approving our our leases, uh, uh, our land our land developments. Uh, whereas before, when we would pass a lease with uh, uh, sometimes it would take uh, six months to two years to get it approved through Indian Affairs, whereas now we can do it in two weeks in, in, at the most and get it registered. And furthermore, it allows us the opportunity to make our own environmental laws and, and ensure our lands are safe in accordance with the environment. Because we had issues with our, our cottagers uh, our leaseholders, uh, some of them in relation to septic systems, and some of them were using 45-gallon oil drums as septic tanks, and, and just we drink that water from the lake, and and we would we got after the department to um, inspect these sites and, and try and cancel their leases, but unfortunately there was limited resources at the department as well. But I mean. And they didn't want to take the authority of, uh, of of canceling. But now that we have our own laws, all the all the environmental issues concerning septic tanks and that have to be brought up to standard, or the lease will be canceled. If we've got a, even a better relationship with our cottage associations, they bring us issues as well, and 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 report on if someone is not doing something right. So. Now we know we have the, the authority to enforce our and protect our environment like we always wanted to do. Do you have, along with that, do you have anything in your land code that deals with heritage sites or sacred sites? Well, we are presently still working on our land use plan. It's ever evolving. And, and, and some of those issues in the land use plan was for our, our people to identify uh, cultural sensitive lands, like lands that will not be developed, that will be safe for uh, folks to do ceremonies, and, and there's been absolutely no development on them, that they, they're going to be remain pristine for those that want to practice uh, the, the sacred ceremonies. Back to the environment for a moment, I think it was Jason Campbell out in on the west coast who was telling me that that's probably in their community the most important component of land code and from what what i understand is each community can really decide what they want to focus on Mm -hmm. that which is most relevant to them and i would agree with that statement because the environment is for first nation people it is a main priority it's it's ingrained into how we relate with mother earth and um for us, that that was one of our biggest priorities. Like, as I said, it's nice to have the ability to operate at the speed of business and and, and 
generate an economy, but you've got to be cognizant of the fact that that your what you do is still going to affect the environment, and we've got to we've got the ability now to ensure that the environment is respected as we are moving forward, and and that we can control what happens on our First Nation and and have have uh, influence over what we do. A lot of folks who listen to the podcast are from across. Canada Bill, in fact, some international listeners, and they might not be too familiar with where you're located. Can you just take a few seconds to describe where you are geographically? Oh, yes. Well, we're 50 miles uh, north of Toronto in Lake Simcoe. We're uh, an island-based community. I actually, today, thinking about it, we are made up of three islands, uh, Georgina, Snake, and Fox. And we have roughly around 500 uh, cottage lots on our lands. The spring, when the ice starts to go in and out, it, it affects how we get across. And that that goes to the funny story of uh, 25 years ago on February 12th, when we did sign the uh, 1996, when we signed the agreement, uh, when in but then Indian Affairs Minister Irwin came to visit us to sign the agreement in our, on our First Nation. Although we had uh, two feet of ice, Minister Irwin flew in and on a helicopter because he was worried of the ice. And, and at that point in time, we were, uh, we were in negotiations to get a new ferry boat for our community. I said, well, we can do one of two things here. I said, you can... You you're, see how the ice conditions affect how we travel in our life. Uh, you can either start the process of getting us a new car ferry, or you can get us a, a couple of helicopters for us to go back and forth. <laughs> Touche. And he turned to his assistant at that point in time, it was Jim Doughty, and he, he, says, he says, you make this happen. And, and by... By a couple of months, we were starting construction on a new car ferry. So that was another uh, significant development that we've got from the, the land coach. <laughs> okay. Well, I was about to ask, where, where do you store those two helicopters? <laughs> that must be the, the picture uh, I see or I saw on the, the wall, I think, of your office or the land advisory board of a, a smiling Bill McHugh with the minister. That was that day, I take it, wasn't it? Oh yes, that was that, that was that day. That was in our in our boardroom. That was, as I said, twenty five years ago. Uh, uh, unfortunately, uh, Minister Irwin has 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 passed just last fall, I think, and he he was very helpful and, and instrumental in, in moving the process along, as well as uh, when we first started the initiative. Uh, it was, I think, through. Prime Minister Brian uh, Mulroney was at that point in time. So it, it the it was not the initiative was supported by all. They they saw the need for us to come out of the Indian Act. So it wasn't really a liberal or a conservative or NDP initiative. It was something that was a First Nation led initiative, and they saw that that it was needed. So it was First Nation driven and. Well, we developed our land code along with the assistance from folks. Uh, Dr. Graham Powell was was a 
was a big catalyst for us in, in helping us develop our land code, as well as Steve Aronson and Bill Henderson, and Robert Louie, Chairman Robert Louie, and Chief Austin Baird. They, they were strong leaders in, in helping us move forward. So it seems like the movement pretty much started out west, and then it, it sort of made its way east, and you know now we're right down into the Maritimes. Uh, yes, as I said, in 90, 93, when I went to that, chiefs meeting we had the groups uh from from the west making the the presentation and most of the folks in the chiefs of ontario (laughs) didn't really care for it but i thought well this is something that we need and i wanted to hear more and that's why i asked for a presentation and and when we made it specific to those communities that needed it it helped us immensely and i i can't imagine what our community would be like if we didn't have our own authority to to move forward so you have that control over certain aspects of land and your environment and natural resources has it helped your community in any way economically and financially yes um our community has uh benefited with the creation of new businesses uh we have our, uh, a business center uh, that, that generates a uh, significant amount of dollars for our revenues. Uh, we are leases, as I said, uh, that are third party um, from lease revenues. It, it has created that opportunity for us to move away from federal funding but having said that, that's not. We still recognize that there is that fiduciary responsibility of, of the federal government to to uh, support First Nations like like ourselves in in various areas. But now we have ability to to do things that we can do in to uh, enhance programs like social programs employment programs, education, like this is all has come from us having the opportunity to create own source revenues. Okay. You said something interesting a while back. I'm not sure in what context, but you said uh, for those communities who aren't sure or who aren't convinced, you said, uh, quote, many are unable to see the big picture. Uh, If that's accurate, what, what did you mean by that exactly? It might not be the. It might not be suitable for what their plans are. Like, like they might have different plans. It's not for everyone, as I said. But the the opportunity is there. But it it takes a lot of time and process to dealing with the Indian Indian Act. The majority. I would say all of the leaders in uh, Canada and Ontario have a, a picture or a vision for the community, and they see that, like that they have it. For us, it, it, it is, and and like I, I don't disparage anybody who doesn't want to be in in the land code. It's not saying that they they don't. They don't have the ability to see the. It's they have a different vision for the community, and and, and that's well within their right. It, like, there's there's some initiatives that we don't follow that, uh, that others have taken. So, <laughs> it, 
like each, each leader, I think, does what's best for their own community. Sure thing. No, thank you for clarifying that. So where to next? I understand there's some talk about uh, having an amendment to the act or the actual legislation. Can you address that? Yeah, as as the act has progressed throughout the years, like like anything, and like the, uh, it needs to be updated and enhanced. And being 25 years old, it, it, there there has to be improvements to it, it because even in our land codes now, what we had at that point in time, we have to change now because uh, as time moves on and different legislations come about, you've got to evolve and, and change what what was good 25 years ago is different now. We have to move with the times and other than, uh, as I said, the only thing that doesn't seem to change is the Indian Act that stays the same for over a hundred and some years, unless you get out of it. <laughs> and you've done that with, what is it, 43 or 44 provisions, land-related provisions? Yeah, 44, I think. The, yeah, yeah uh, provisions that we've, that we've taken away and done ourselves. And, and that's something that's, uh, uh, as I said, is beneficial to us. Uh, it's something that that's allowed us to even move into different aspects of of legislations. Now, we went into the uh, taxation, created our own tax laws through the First Nations Tax Commission to to um, generate an, more of an economy for services that are being delivered to our our, our third party leases, and, and that's helped us. And that's not for everybody. Well, it is open to everyone, but not everyone is choosing to take it as well. So we've kind of like to be trailblazers <laughs> in, in things we do. In my conversation with Chief Leah George Wilson, she said something interesting, that Land Code has given them an opportunity to set their anger aside over decades of colonial mistreatment and to be able to find creative ways to move forward. Have you seen that happening in your community? I would agree with that statement, and, and, and as I said, it, uh, it, it's something that has given our our folks the opportunity to remember the past, but to move forward in, in as I said, in different areas of generating an economy, uh, uh, the ability to know that the lands that you're on, that you have authority over it. Uh, we have folks in even in the the certificates of possessions that used to be sent by Indian Affairs, we we give certificate of title from the Chippewas of Georgina Island now. It, oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. How long have yeah. you been doing that? Uh, since our land code came into effect, <laughs> twenty five years now. The title comes from the Chippewas of Georgina Island. Seeing that Chippewas of Georgina Island. In my name, there it it gives me pride, and I, I think it does the same to to other folks that have that that in relation to their where their housing is on. That's a great example of that creativity that we're yeah. just talking about. Just as we wind down, thoughts on going forward from here as you go out, and I know you're a strong advocate for the land code. What do you see happening through the rest of 2021 and the following years as we work our way through this pandemic? Through the pandemic, the land code has helped us. Uh, that's one of the benefits that, that we've had is that we have the ability to 
close our borders using our land code saying that you know it's just restricted to our own folks to, to come or to go do the groceries we, we've we've stopped our cottagers for that point in time uh, last year for a few few months well in in the case of security for our, our people and and we didn't have one case even though we are were in a region that was a gray region for quite a few months because of our proximity to Toronto and we had that ability to to protect our people and that came from the land code and I think for the next 25 years I can see as progress moving forward with us coming up to our hundredth uh, uh, voter uh, community voting uh, passing a code I can see it expanding even more as, as I said uh, it's that to see that you can do it and, and, and as folks as have seen how we've moved move forward and seeing how others have, are moving forward, they're going to want to do that as well. And it's just ensuring that we're moving forward uh, in a good way. And that's something that I, I can see us doing in the next 25 years to continue to uh, restructure our laws and to uh, uh, make it a better spot. Uh, better place for my children my grandchildren and all first nations uh, children that and those that are on our land you know a, a better uh, business arrangements too in respect on both sides and maybe you'll get that helicopter someday I hope so <laughs> <laughs> it's been fabulous to speak with you Bill and uh, we appreciate your knowledge and your expertise if people would like to get in touch, what's the best way for them to reach out to you? My email is william.mchugh at georginaisland.com. Or I don't know what, I'm on Twitter. Fabulous. I'm not sure if it's Chief Kelly LaRocca or somebody else who said she was on Twitter, but she didn't use it. And she has to get with the times. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I know Chief LaRocca. She's a very good leader for her community. Thank you. Thank you so much. To learn more about the 25th anniversary of the Framework Agreement and the Land Code, you can visit the website at labrc.com. You can also email the Resource Center team at info at labrc.com or call toll-free 888-985-5711. I'm Richard Perry. Thanks for listening to Land Decolonized.